Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We're a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoy this week's message by Pastor Dwight Bennett. I am so excited today of uh, our new series that we're going to talk. It's called Table Talk. Uh, For the next two weeks, uh, Tammy and I are going to share about marriage. Uh, uh, I'm so excited to be here with God's daughter, okay, Charlie's daughter, the mother of Megan, Allison, and Abby, the grandmother of the nine of them who uh, are all here today. And the reason I introduce her in this way is because this is how I'm called to love her. First of all, this is God's daughter. And so I want to love her in a way that it respects God the Father who gave me this person here. This is not a burden. This is a gift. And so when I love her in the way that God has designed me to love her, things go good for me and things even go better for her. But before we start, I thought I'd just, you know, I haven't done any stand-up lately, so I thought I would just, you know, go with a few things. So uh, the first thing I just wanted, there's a kid that came home from school, told his dad, I'm so excited. I, I won the part in the school play. He said, I'm going to play a man who's been married for 25 years. And the father says, well, son, maybe next time you'll get a speaking role. <laughs> you guys got that one? Okay, got it, got it. Okay, all right. Next thing. This is a little boy who's going golfing with this old man, the pastor. He said, well, pastor, it wasn't dad's best round, but it sure was his quietest playing with you. Now, uh, Donnie, now, even in my worst rounds, I'm not, I don't go off and cuss all the time. Would you confirm that for these people so they, they, they understand that about me? All right. Two old ladies, Dolly and Ruby, they were talking about their grandchildren, and Dolly said, you know, Ruby, every year I send my uh, grandkids a nice Christmas gift, a big check, but you know what? I never hear from them. And Ruby said, you know what, Dolly? I do the same thing. I send them uh, a giant check, but you know what? I always hear from them within a week. And she goes, how in the world do you do that? She said, I don't sign the check. (laughs) It's getting better. It's getting better. I knew you guys would like that. Hallelujah. I'm so glad that my grandkids, if I take them to lunch, I take them anywhere. They say, Papal, thanks for lunch. Thanks for this. Thanks for that. Thanks for the other. And uh, I can only attribute that to them having uh, incredible parents. So women, I got such exciting news for you. Have you heard in all of the new updates that are going in in Easton? that there is a brand new store going in, and it's a store where you can shop for a husband. Whoo! I mean, we've been waiting years for something like this to come along. Now, in this store, there are six floors. But one thing you must understand, each floor that you go up, the value of, of the man increases as well. But if you start at one and don't choose that man and go to two, you can't not go back to one. You can only keep going higher. So here's what it looks like. So when you get on the first floor, there's a sign that reads, if you want this man, 
This man has a job. Woohoo! Isn't that a good thing? If you want to marry a guy, you want to marry a guy with a job, right? So when you take the elevator up to the second floor, there's a sign that says, this man has a job and, listen to this, he loves kids. Aw, everybody just say that with me. Aw, he's got to be a great guy because he loves kids, right? So the third floor opens up and it gets even better. And so when you get to the third floor, it says, this man has a job, he loves kids, and he's good looking. Woohoo! So, but remember, you cannot go back to get the man on thir the third floor if you go to the fourth floor. So do you want to go up to the fourth floor? You want to take a chance? Okay, I knew you would. So when the fourth floor door opens, there is a sign that reads, this man has a job, he loves kids, he's good looking, and he loves to do housework. Woohoo! Man, that's a good, right, baby? That's right. That vacuum fits my hand. That toilet brush fits my, I love it. I love it. So we get into the fifth floor because you thought there was even a better man, and you might be right. On the fifth floor, this sign says when you get out, this man has a job. He loves kids. He's good looking. He's, uh, 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 he does housework. And this man loves physical intimacy, ladies. Oh, my goodness. This guy is just the package, right? But can you imagine what's awaiting on the sixth floor? Well, when you got to the sixth floor, if you were to open the door, there would have been a sign that read, that you're the 31,450,000th woman who has came up onto this floor. And there is no man on this floor, but it just proves that women, you are impossible to please. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> well, here, this, over the, we are having table talk conversations about marriage today. I love the worship songs that were played today. They were songs of messages and hope. And we are going to, over these next four weeks, we're going to build hope in relationships. We're also going to build hope in parenting. You might have a prodigal that's uh, not back yet. We want to build hope in you that that can happen. And so let's take a look, though, for Tammy and I's uh, uh, series. This is what we're going to focus on. We're going to talk about the six things of intimacy. That's what we're going to focus on. Six things of intimacy. And we say communication brings intimacy. So the six realms of intimacy that we want to talk about, and I want you to realize number six is physical intimacy, not the first part of intimacy. The first part of intimacy we want to discuss is a spiritual intimacy. The second thing is an intellectual intimacy. A third thing is a relational intimacy. Fourth is a financial intimacy. And are you aware that the second leading cause of divorce is battle over finances, mistrust that happens in the financial realm? The fifth form of intimacy that we're going to focus on is emotional intimacy. And then, after we've discussed all of those, we'll talk about the realm of physical intimacy. So, Father, today we come before you with this extremely important family series that we're going to have over these next couple weeks. Father, we're well aware that when we build strong families, that those strong families 
build a strong church. And when we have a great church, it exemplifies and builds the kingdom of God in a way that nothing else can. And so, Father, today, we pray, God, that in relationships that aren't hitting on all cylinders, that these next two messages would be a hope, a, an expression of what can be done, a, an ideology of how they can have a relationship that hits on all cylinders. Father, we thank and praise you today that even as we have sang the song, the name of Jesus that builds hope, brings encouragement, and, and leads us to those pathways of the life that you've intended for us to have together relationally. And Father, today we're so thankful that as we bring forth this information that you would bond Tammy and I's heart together that we would be able to express what we have learned over the 42 years of our marriage that brings us to the place that we gel together, we work together, we love together, we do life together. And so Father, we thank you today and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to start out real quick. We're going to tag team this back and forth, and I hope you don't get confused in the tag team. But um, I want to encourage you that when we're speaking to you, I don't want to see anybody elbowing their spouses. <laughs> I really want to encourage you that you're not in your mind thinking, oh, sweet Jesus, I hope they're hearing this. They need to hear it. Instead of saying, Lord, speak to me, because it starts with each of us as individuals making a change in our marriage. And we're going to be honest and transparent during some of our examples we give you. And so it might feel a little uncomfortable, but we're going to be honest and share the next couple of weeks. So we talked about how communication in our relationship builds intimacy. And in every one of these six realms of intimacy, they all boil down to having some form of communication that brings us to the place to where God uh, exemplifies our relationship together, that we want to be together, love together, and stay together. Stay together is the key. The Bible tells us that two shall become one flesh. And when we read in Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6, in the New Living Testament, we begin to see that uh, we, we read, it says, Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied, the record that from the beginning, they record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And since they no longer uh, are two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. Communication is the process in which we exchange information between individuals. Communication in a relationship, listen to me, is what blood is to the human body. That blood curses through our body to bring us the life that we need to exist, and communication in a relationship is just like that. Communication is the lifeline in a relationship that brings us the enjoyment, the satisfaction, and the health that we need. Communication nourishes and sustains a relationship. If you remove communication from a relationship, it is no longer a relationship. If you remove communication from a relationship, it is no longer a relationship. Now, 
When we talk about communication, communication is not necessarily the amount of words that you speak, but communication uh, is it, it may be uh, many. Your, your words may be many, but your level of real communication in that uh, uh, communicating may be lower than you think. It's not about the amount of words that we speak, it's what we speak, how we speak, the body language that we use while we're speaking. Are we listening? Are we applying what we hear to what the situation truly bears out? The Bible tells us in Proverbs 10.19, Proverbs 10.19, and the Proverbs are so powerful in these areas. It says, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Too much talking leads to sin. Now listen to what this says in the TPT. It says, if you keep talking, it won't be long before you're saying something wrong. Prove you're wise from the start. Just bite your tongue and be strong. Speaking of biting the tongue, why should we bite our tongues at times? I don't know about you, but I had four occurrences this week where I had to bite my tongue. Not necessarily with this beautiful woman, but in relational aspects of my life where I could have came back with something defending myself, something that was a one-liner, something that was a quip that would have put me in a different position in the conversation, but you have to know the times to be silent. Because when you are silent, it shows that you are processing the information beyond the point of being defensive. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But the power of the tongue. Listen to what Proverbs 18.21 says. It says that uh, the, the tongue can bring death or it can bring life. The, th the words that we speak can either cut or they can restore. Communication is understanding what your spouse says and being understood. And that's the challenge in communication in a marriage. Um, but I'm going to give you six points to help you have positive communication with your spouse. Number one is identifying the tone of your voice. In Proverbs 15.1 in the NLT, it says a gentle answer deflects anger but harsh words makes tempers flare. If you have a comeback because you might disagree with your spouse, if you come back with an, a soft answer, you're more likely to keep the conversation from elevating to a higher place. Amen. Um, and then number two is detecting nonverbal cues. We don't want to cross our hands. We don't want to shut ourselves down. Um, we want to understand our body language. Um, reaching out and maybe grabbing your, hand, uh, your spouse's hands as a positive in communicating, not pushing yourself away in that. Shaking your head no when your spouse is talking to you. You've already formulated what you're thinking. We don't want to do that. Number three, responding appropriately to offenses. The Bible tells us offenses are going to come. They are going to be there. There is not a perfect marriage. We are not perfect in our marriage. We have chosen to strive to become better, to look more like Christ. Um, 
but there is no perfect marriage. But it's, it's how we respond. And then 15, um, Proverbs 15.2 says, The tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing, but the mouth of a fool belches out foolishness. We need to hold our tongues. We need to respond appropriately. Number four in resolving conflict is that we should keep no scorecard. In other words, this is not the, when you're in a current conflict or you're trying to resolve something, this is not the time to bring up the other 16 conflicts that you never resolved in the past. That's what happens so often when we get into communicating. When, uh, when we do that, we're keeping a scorecard. And you'll ruin your marriage if you keep score. This is a scorecard that represents a baseball game. It's two, the husband and wife against each other. And the husband appears to be up four to three. But if you look at the third category, that's errors. And an error is, is when a guy gets hit a ball and he doesn't field it cleanly and perform what he's supposed to do. In a marriage, that's when you say. An error is when you say something you shouldn't say. When you do something you shouldn't do. When you respond in a way that you shouldn't respond. But what, why does keeping a scorecard ruin a marriage? This is what happens when we keep score. When we keep score, it shows that we have never got over the hurts of our past. We've never learned how to properly resolve an issue so that it doesn't remain an issue. Do you know that uh, conflict resolution in a marriage is a powerful tool that helps us to move our marriage to the next destiny? It's not a matter if you're going to have a disagreement. It's a matter of when that disagreement will occur. But if you haven't resolved any of your disagreements in the past, then you're automatically going to set yourself up for failure in trying to resolve the next conflict. And what happens is, is when we keep a scorecard, when we're in the midst of a communication about, and Tammy's trying to share something with me, my response in my mind is, here we go again. You know, just another thing that she doesn't like, another thing she's not happy about, another thing I don't do right. Why? Because we've not resolved every conflict that we've already been in. And so the next one is just another layer. How many of you love a cake that has multiple layers, multiple icings on the inside, multiple frostings? You cut it and everything looks so amazing. That tastes incredible. That's good for a cake, but it's not good for a relationship when you build things on multiple levels of conflict. And so we have to move away from the here we go again, you always fail me attitude to where the score on that scorecard should be zero to zero no matter how many errors you have. Listen, when you're in the midst of a conflict and you try to win the conflict at the expense of your spouse, who wins? Nobody. Why? Because the Bible says that the two shall become one. So if I hurt her in winning an argument, I lose because we are moving apart from each other in being one. And this is one of the most incredible things that we can say to you today is resolve your conflicts. How do you do that? Put your microphone down for just a second. When you are going to go into a conflict, 
before you start, join hands and pray. Men, this is your job. I'm sorry. If your wife won't do it, you got to do it. Just reach out. Father, we just thank you for this conversation we're about to have. Let your Holy Spirit lead and guide us. When you're in the middle of the conflict that's getting rough, say, wait a minute, we need to pray. Father, we just pray. You see the things we're still having problems with. We need your help. We need you to lead and guide us. When God does that and it's all over and you end the conflict, draw together again and pray and say, Father, thank you that this is not another mark on our scorecard, but you have given us victory because you need to learn how to celebrate victory as a couple. Pray before, pray in the middle, and pray at the end because you have to be wise that the enemy is using this to drive you apart. And you cannot give the enemy any foothold in your relationship. Amen? Go ahead. Sometimes... You can't, you're so angry, you can't come to the place that you can hold hands and pray because you want to smack them. That's truthful. Say, 30 minutes apart, I'm walking around the block. When I come back, we're going to have a conversation. You need some time to apart so you can calm down and realize that we need to talk this through. There's nothing wrong with being able to talk through it, but if you're at the point that you're ready to smack them, you need to back away and take a 30-minute walk to calm down and then come back and have that conversation. Should we tell those of us, those of you who are watching on us live that we don't get physical and We smack don't each get other. physical. Okay, when I'm saying, I'm that sorry, that was we that. never smack each other. <laughs> I said when you feel like you're frustrated. Yes. Okay. Point five is knowing what to say, when to say it, and how to say it. Early in our marriage, I would ask Dwight a question, but it was always an accusatory question. That didn't get us anywhere. It totally didn't progress our dis disagreements in any because I was always accusing him in my questioning. Um, but we need to know the timing and how important it is. Never have that conversation before you go to bed. That timing is wrong. You're tired. You're exhausted. Is not the best time to do it. And so you need to know when. Ask the Holy Spirit, okay, I want to talk to him about this. When's the best time to do it? How should I open the conversation? God will reveal all these things as you dive in and practice this more and more um, as you are longer in your marriage. And then point six is we need to validate our spouses. We need to let them know that we're hearing what they're saying. We need to have empathy. And empathy is the ability to understand and feel what the other person is experiencing from their viewpoint. You may not agree. We do not agree 100% in everything. But I have empathy to understand his point, And I'm not pushing him away. I want to hear and validate what he's saying even though sometimes I don't always agree. And it's a beautiful thing about the power of where your relationship is when you don't agree on something, that it doesn't tear you apart. It actually helps you to appreciate your spouse even more. You know, Tammy's a, an incredible woman. She is just amazing. And God has, has given me uh, 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 an amazing wife. She thinks on her own. She, her and I don't necessarily always think. Now, 
We can finish each other's sentences, and many times I open my mouth, and then she just says what I was going to say without me even saying it, and because we're like this. But uh, we have to understand that when we get into the place of, of disagreeing thought process, not just thought processes, but issue processes, that it's okay for your spouse to not like Diet Dr. Pepper, but would, she would rather drink Fresca. It's okay. I don't have to, ew, Fresca's terrible, which it's not. Fresca's good too. But I prefer Diet Dr. Pepper. So you can drink Fresca, I'll drink Diet Dr. Pepper. It's all good. Now, why is this critical? It's critical because value or communication brings value to a relationship. Value to a relationship. What do I mean by that? Well, the Bible tells us in James 1, 19 and 20, it says, understand this, brothers and sisters. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Listening is what brings value. So when Tammy is sharing something or we're in a conversation, we're communicating together, she might be saying something like, I would rather you wear this shirt than the one I had picked out this morning. And I thought, well, I thought the other shirt was just fine. It's probably one of my go-to shirts, but she likes this shirt better. So I'm va I valued her this morning by not going, <coughs> I can't believe you want not want me to wear my gold go-to shirt, but you want me to wear this pastel thing that makes me look wimpy. But because uh, uh, that's just saying, that's what I thought in my mind. But was it worth wearing the same shirt I wear all the time? And you talking about me on your way home? See, Pastor wears that shirt twice a month. I told you he does that. Or was it just something to value? the conversation that my wife is saying, and she wants me to wear this blue shirt that makes me feel wimpy, okay? But you know what? If I'm wearing this blue shirt that she digs, then that's cool with me because I know that she's going to keep her eyes on me and me alone. Hallelujah. Now, why does listening bring value? We all want to be valued, every single one of us. There's not a person in this sanctuary or watching us online that doesn't want to be valued. First of all, we know from Scripture that it must have been an issue with the disciples because Jesus said this to them in Matthew uh, chapter 6. He said, you know, the, the birds of the air, the, I've created beautiful things, things that are amazing and, and wonderful, but I value you more than I value anything. All of the created things, I value the human interaction and existence more than all of those other things. And so we have to understand that when we are communicating, communication is a tool that either tears down or brings value. Now, when we look at this scripture again, it says, understand this, dear brothers and sisters, you must, and this is dear brothers and sisters. Everybody say brothers, brothers. and everybody say sisters, brothers and sisters. Okay, this is for both of us. You must be quick to listen. Isn't it amazing that James puts that scripture in there, and isn't it wonderful that God gave us two ears to hear and one mouth to speak out of? Now, you can look at this any way you want to, but I think he gives us two ears to hear because he knows at times we're hard of hearing, and we're hard of hearing what we need to hear or what is actually being said. 
When you are communicating with your spouse, whether it is in a conflict or not, if you are listening to your spouse and you're formulating your response, you are not valuing the communication that they are bringing. Why is that? And, and we have done uh, premarital counseling for 34 years, and we go over this exact example with each young couple, and we say the next time you get into something that you're going to disagree on and you're having the conversation, I want you to purposely see if you are formulating your response to what they are saying as opposed to listening to what is being said. 100% of the time. Not 90, not 80. This is not a non-scientific study. I've done, I don't know, 75, 100, 150 weddings. Don't know how many. 100% of the time when we do this exercise, they come back and say, yep, when Tammy was talking and she was, you know, we were in a discussion of disagreement, I was for me, I was getting ready to defend myself from what she was saying. Listen, she doesn't need you to defend yourself. She needs you to value what she's saying. And this is the most difficult thing because this means that you have to be secure in who you are in Christ. This is about who you are as a child of God. So if my wife is sharing something with me, it's not my time to formulate my disagreeable opinion that I want to slap back with her. It is my time to truly listen to what she's saying. Why? Because do you realize that all of the hurts that you've obtained in your life, those are the filters that are in your ears, and that's how you filter information. You filter information from all your past hurts and the things that haven't went your way. And so when you're in a conflict resolution with your spouse, you're automatically hearing things that, from a skewed perspective. This is your gift, not your enemy. And so when your gift is sharing something with you about something that she uh, either disagrees with, not happy with, just wants to share her heart, and then you're formulating your opinion. You're reducing the value of that person. Listen, even Wendy's values you. Wendy's values you. Why is that? Because they listen. How do you know they listen? Because they repeat your order back to you. Now, I know y'all are thinking, doesn't matter when I get to the line, I'm missing one fry and one Happy Meal. I get that. Nobody's perfect, neither will you be. But what they do is, and I go up and they say, thank you for coming to Wendy's, can I help you? Yeah, I want a number one, a, a cheese everything, no mayo, and, and a fry and a medium Coke. So they say, will that be all? And I say, yes. And they say, so what you told me you wanted was a number one, uh, cheese everything, minus mayonnaise, Fries and a, and a Coke, is that right? Well, no, I said Diet Coke. Okay, great. Okay, thank you. So what they've done is they valued my order by repeating back to me what I ordered because they value me as a customer and want to get it right. So when you're communicating with your spouse, if you're listening with broken ears only from all past hurts, you're never going to be able to say what you need to say.
Now, sometimes when somebody is communicating with you emotionally from their heart, their, their, their language tone, their body language, they're so passionate about it, you might miss what's really being said. And so when Tammy comes to conversate with me, I turn both ears on, and when she says, honey, I feel this way or that way, and I just feel like, you know, this isn't happening, or we could do this better. Oh, we could do this better. That automatically makes me feel like I'm doing something wrong. Got to be doing something wrong. If she says we can do something better, that means I'm doing something wrong. And that's inside of me. Why? I don't know why, but I need to fix it. So when I say to her, so Tammy, what I hear you saying is you see some things that aren't happening in our family or our relationship. And what you're telling me is we can do those things better. How can we do that? Can you help me? And how can we do them better? As opposed to, what do you mean? Look at our kids. They're great. Why, why, why can't you just be happy? You got a great house. I work two jobs. What, what's, what's the matter with you? Why, why do you keep feeling this way? Why do you keep saying we can do it better? You see the difference in the two responses? And then she's going to get all fired up again. Then I'm going to get fired up. And then she's going to get fired up. But when I clarify what she said, so Tammy, what I hear you saying that brings value to and her. I, and I think sometimes when you repeat it back, it's like, I never it, said that. That's exactly right. I that. never said that. You're not listening. And I think that's the most important thing. I want to say a couple things that um, if you want true communication, you got to have eye contact, especially in a conversation like that. And I am real big on eye contact. Right, girls. <laughs> um, it's like, look me in the eyes. Look because we used to tell our kids that if I don't have your eyes, I do not have your heart. And you know what? At two years old, my daughters could do that, pull their face away. It's like, no, look me. And then they close their eyes because even at two, even at two, right, they how about understood. This one? Yeah, I had one daughter <laughs> that would never look me in the eyes. But the truth is, she didn't have my heart. She knew before even what I was going to say, something that was important. And so when we go out on a date, my husband can get calls from seven countries. He can get calls from here at the church, but I want quality time. And so I asked him, can you please put your phone away when we go out for dinner? After she asked the person who seats us, can we have the very back booth so that he's so not So he can't know. see any of y'all or see people that we know from high school because everywhere we go, he runs and into And she doesn't knows. sit me at a seat that I can see you. She sits me at a seat where I can see the wall <laughs> and her. It's truthful. I know, but how bad is that for me? I mean, what kind of schmuck am I? <laughs> You're not. Okay. You're awesome. Thanks, I just babe. want all your time. But I think that's important. You have to have eye contact. He is a multitasker. He can do two things at a time, and he really can hear what I'm saying. But I need him to look me in the eyes as I'm sharing because that's what I need to make me feel like he's really hearing what I'm saying, even though he can really hear me prior to that because it's happened. He's answered me and knows everything and answers the correct answer. But it's, it's getting eye contact, validating your time together. Yeah, the Buckeyes one by four. Yeah, yeah. I'm a rain man. I can listen and... And do all of that. So when we, when we get to there, 
at that point, we have to also realize what you say and how you say it determines the outcome that you will get. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no unwholesome NASB. word, and, yeah, and the, and the NASB, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. But if there is any good word for edification according to the need of the moment, this is scorecard stuff. This is the need of the moment, not what happened yesterday, right. day before, six years ago, 20 years ago. Excuse me. So say that, say that so that it will give grace to those who hear it. In the TPT, it says, and never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth, but instead let your words be beautiful gifts that encourage one another. I'm such a romantic I want to give my wife beautiful gifts. Do this by speaking words of grace to what? Help them. This is your partner. Right. You shouldn't be speaking words that tear them down. You should be saying things that help them. And the Bible says, don't do this. It says, get rid of all bitterness in 431. Rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all type of evil behavior. But... In Ephesians 4.32, it says, Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Forgiveness is what eliminates a scorecard and brings you to a better place. We're going to end. Uh, Pastor Dwight talked about this earlier, the six different points um, in life that communicate will build intimacy. These points that we're going to start making, and we'll finish them next week, um, is it is intimacy. Intimacy has a value in everything we do, and it's building that intimacy. Um, in Romans, okay, we're going to focus on this, the six different points, but the, la the, the point that I want to say that even the young people need to hear this is that sexual intimacy is not what everyone thinks about. It's not the number one thing. It's just not physical, and it's just not sexual, and that's what I want you to grab, if anything, today. It's a part of it. It's a great part of it, but it's not all of it. And then what I want to say is, if these other five realms of intimacy are not in order, your sexual intimacy does not do what it can possibly do. If the first five... Are, are of the intimacies are not met, then your time of uh, sexual intimacy is okay. It's okay. You do it because you do it, and God made it, and it's outstanding. But if the five things that are the intimacy things before physical and sexual intimacy are met, then sexual intimacy is, is like the grand finale at the end of the fireworks. Okay, in Genesis chapter 2, 24, it says, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united in one. Now, the beginning part of that is a whole other message about leaving and cleaving. But I'm talking here where they leave, but you're cleaving with your partner. It's, it's, it's experiencing intimacy is by uniting two personalities together as one. I was raised diametrically opposite than Dwight was raised. Trying to bring two lives together to make them um, function as one, it takes years. 
It's always apologizing. It, that never goes away. It's always searching, how can I better myself in this marriage? Not benefit and change him. When I got married, I thought I could change Dwight. I had all intentions to Was, change him. Wasn't I enough? No. Okay. No. <laughs> and I realized I couldn't do it. And that probably set me on the journey for finding um, the Lord in my process. But I can't change him. I can only change this vessel. Mm -mm. And that's what will change your marriage. If you stop looking at how you can change your spouse, but look at how can I change myself. That's the most important. Um, um, okay, so in marriage, I'm just going to go over these real quick. Uh, Dwight already talked about them, but in, oh, go ahead. Well, Sorry. and when you tie. I, I, we have a marked who's doing what. When you, when and you. And I'm, I'm off on mine. It's all good. If you wanted to do them, I told you, you go, girl. I like it when you preach. I mean, I love it. I like sitting over there when you preach, though, watching you. But in a marriage, now, when we're talking about all of these different things, and the thing that Tammy just spoke about will be the number one intimacy that we're going to talk about next week. Spiritual intimacy is the most critical intimacy of your marriage, and we're going to talk about that more. But in, in a marriage... Uh, we're one in flesh spiritually as we make our vows before God and the witnesses that we are going to build a Christian marriage and relationship together. Do you guys realize that less than you want to understand that in the kingdom of God, your marriage is less about personal happiness as it is being a billboard for the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? When your relationship shows giving, caring, forgiving, honoring, valuing, those are what God does, right? Those are the characteristics of God in our relationship together. And so when we treat our spouse in those ways, we are spiritually doing something that is going to point people to say, how are you guys in such love with each other? And you can say, I'm glad you asked. Because if we did not love Jesus first, we would not be able to have this kind of love for each other. So in marriage, we are one flesh spiritually by the vows we make. Intellectually, by growing wise together. Re recreationally, by doing fun things together. Financially, by planning our future together. Emotionally, by dealing with life's peaks and valleys together, and last of all, physically, by uniting our bodies together as one. Okay, let's start with the first one. Um, we are running out of time, but we're going to hit at least one today, and it's going to be the spiritual intimacy that you have in a marriage. That's the most important part in a marriage, is if you are having a relationship with Jesus Christ alone, and as your spouse is having a relationship, as you come together, you are growing greatly in your spiritual intimacy. As we pursue Jesus, as our number one purpose above our spouse has to be forthright, that I have my own time with the Lord, Dwight has his own time with the Lord, but then we come together. And what does that look like? It's drawing us to grow together. Our marriage, as Dwight said, is supposed to mirror the, mirror the image of God. 
And here are a few ways that I believe you can grow spiritually together. You might have the other ones, that's great, but these are the top ones that we came up with. Spiritual intimacy begins by bringing, by being in the Word, personally and together. The Word of God nourishes our souls. And when we are on the same spiritual diet, we are growing the same direction. Amen. We're growing together, and we're not growing apart because we're pursuing that. Um, praying together. Praying together at the very beginning for me was hard to be honest with things that I needed prayer for. Why do I want him to think I'm a weakling, or why do I want him to think that I fail in this? But as you get more common in doing it, it gets easier. I can remember oh, saying, oh, I need prayer. You know, I'm dealing with a situation. And, you know, we prayed, but it gets easier. But it can be difficult, too, because you could be frustrated or disappointed in what your spouse done, but you need to lay those things aside so you can get together and have somebody come and support you. God has put you together to help one another. You don't have to do it alone. Even though it's hard and even though it's difficult, the more you ask, you know, in the mornings I would say, what can I pray for you today? Right. And mean it and do it. And I think that's knowing that, that he knew that I was praying for him. So he's, you know, got a big meeting at the mayor's office today. Will you pray for me? Yes, I would love. We pray there and I pray throughout the day. We grow together. Serve on ministry projects together. Have shared religious beliefs. Celebrate, celebrate Christian holidays together. Attend church together. Listen to podcasts in the car as you're going from place to place. So you're both hearing the same thing that will continue communication and discussing things, and you're doing it in things of the word of God. Worship together. I think that we come to a place where um, when my husband uh, would work in the secular world, when he was working, he would come home with just a lot of heaviness. And I chose to put on worship music before he walked in the door because I wanted to change the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. I didn't like the atmosphere that he ha had to work under, so I controlled. And vice versa. If I'm having a hard day and he knows it, he'll, I'll just, he'll turn music on worship music on so we can change the atmosphere in our home. And most of all, there are testimonies that you and I face every day of the goodness of God. Those spiritual intimacy is sharing those. Oh, you're not going to believe it. I was at the store today and a lady looked so sad and I was talking to her. I got to pray with her. Sharing that spiritual intimacy together, that's what all of that is. You grow in your relationship relationship personally, but then you grow together. And those are just a few things. You might have other things that work for you that will help you grow spiritually, intimately in a marriage. You know, one of the things when we talk about praying together, it automatically sends off a red flag and comments like, well, if I was a pastor and my wife worked at the church. We'd have time to pray together too. Well, I got, that's an interesting comment. You're acting as if we have no life. You're acting as if you know, uh, we don't work 60 hours a week or, you know, we eat bonbons all day. And, and you know, that's just a great but thing. we did that before we were pastors. Yes. 
But we did it before. We did it when not, we weren't even on staff here, but even before youth pastoring. But my point is this, that, you know, we're not praying normally two hours a day together. We're, we're not, you know, but I know that when Tammy's up in the morning before me and she's, I already know she's reading and praying. She's priming the pump for that. And when, when I get ready and, and we, you know, worship music is playing, before I leave, I just take her hand and we'll pray for five minutes together. Father, bless my wife. We'll say, Lord, we pray for our children then. Uh, we'll pray for some important things at the church. And it might be for five to eight minutes. On the way to church every Sunday, we, as soon as we hit the car, Worship music is on, we begin worshiping, and then we begin praying for this service together. So we have a 31-minute drive to church, and that entire time, 90% of it is worshiping and praying for this service. But those are spiritual things we do together, and we build together through prayer. And the more spiritually we are in tune, each of us with our Savior is the more in tune that we are with each other. You know, let's face it. He is so much more handsome when I see him praying and worshiping the Lord in the mornings before I leave. Men, you look sexier when you're worshiping the Lord. <laughs> when you're serving the Lord. I'm telling you, those ladies wouldn't be laughing at it if it wasn't true. <laughs> It is true. I want to say one thing before I end mine is for all those young single people who are still in high school or in college and you are not married, I want to say this, that in 2 Corinthians 6.14, it says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness and how can light live with darkness? Don't be unequally yoked. If you can... Um, Stop at this point. You're, it's at the ear gate that you're hearing this. Don't marry or date somebody who is spiritually unequally yoked. That will be hard if they don't come to know Jesus to walk in spiritual intimacy. It's one of the most difficult things we've seen in all the years of ministry is how, and it's usually the, the woman is, loves the Lord and her man, and you know what? She thought when they married that she could change him. And that once he gets saved, it's like, sweetie, if he doesn't get saved, you're going to have 30 years of never being on the same page. And it does nothing but create confusion. You know, we told our girls from the very beginning, they said, we told them that God has a man specifically de designed for you. And we never, we never pr promoted or believed in dating. And, uh, you know, the reason we did that was is because we were building a realm of intimacy in our girls that God had somebody in store for them that would be who they are. And one day I was hammering that point home and hammering that point home, and I took the girls to breakfast our senior year, and I believe it was Allison, I was hammering her, and she's, you know, the middle child. She's got a lot of logic and all those kind of things. And so at one time, I must, must have been the 30th time, maybe I said it, but she said, Dad, you know, stop. She said, you know, don't you think when I look for a husband that I'm going to look for somebody just like you, somebody who loves mom the way you love her. That's what I'm looking for. And so our marriages are huge representatives of what our families become. 
huge representatives. When there is stability in your marriage, Ian and Grant, when you send your kids to school, they go to school well-fed, well-loved, and security is, is in them everywhere they go. So that when they sit at their desk, all they have to do is learn. When your marriage is broken and they heard you fight all night, they didn't get a good night's sleep, dinner was thrown together because you were both honked off at each other, and then when you get them up, they're tired, they're frustrated, and when they sit at their desk, they wonder if mom and dad are going to be home when we get home because there's no security in the home. Listen, folks. Your marriage is critical to your family, to the life of that family and the life of your church. And so let me just say this. God is so amazing. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, and I sure hope that you guys are taking time to take notes on these things. If two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them. This is the power of unity. One section of scripture talks about if a man can put a thousand to flight, two people can what? Put 10,000. That's not one plus one, two. That's one and 10. That's a multiplicative process. When this is hitting on all cylinders, the power of who you are is multiplied. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. And I am going to read this as the last scripture. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Verse 11 says, Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? And in verse 12, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. When Tammy and I are standing together, if she falls, she can count on me to be there. I will pick her up. I will love her. She will do the same for me. But when we put God spiritually at the top of the list of who we are in our marriages, then that is a bond that cannot be broken. Would you stand with me? Father, I thank you for these, this series of messages. I thank you for your incredible desire to be able to bring us to a place of wholeness when the enemy is trying his darndest to bring us to a place of brokenness. Father, I thank you that when we apply the spiritual principles to our marriage relationship, our relationships bloom. They bloom like flowers in the desert. They bloom for all people to see. And so, Father, today I pray that at the beginning of this series, that as relationship is, 
is uh, fostered between husband and wife, that these teachings would bring them to a place where they're nowhere near where they used to be relationally, but that they would be at a new place desiring to build their relationship under you. And Father, I just ask God that the words that Tammy and I speak, that they would bring life, Father, to all who hear them. Hallelujah. And Father, we just give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.